Hello and welcome to the London Magazine podcast. In today's episode, one of our writers, Susanna Evans, sits down with Katie Hale, the poet, and talks to her about her upcoming novel, being a part of the Right Now scheme with Penguin Random House, Cumbrian Words and Dialect, and also even has Katie read a couple of her poems. Hope you enjoy. I'm here with Katie Hale at uh, Stanza Poetry Festival 2018. Katie, thank you very much for being here today. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, and just to introduce Katie first, Katie was born in Cumbria and studied at Royal Holloway University of London and the University of St Andrews, where we are now. She has won many poetry awards, including the Jane Martin Poetry Prize, the Ware Poetry Prize, and her poetry has been published in Poetry Review, the North, Interpreter's House, and in various other magazines. Her debut poetry pamphlet was published by Flipped Eye in 2017, and she's currently being mentored for her first novel, My Name is Monster. Uh, and this is, this is mentorship by Penguin Random House on their Right Now scheme. And also, if you, if you want to sort of read more about Katie's work, do have a look at the review of her work by the Glaswegian poet Tessa Bering, which is coming out on the Compass's website soon. So Katie, welcome again. <laughs> and, and I just wanted to start by saying that you've had a very busy year since I last saw you. So, so you're, you've been writing poetry, yeah. you've had a pamphlet come out, um, you're writing a novel, you've written for the theatre and your musical The Inevitable Quiet of the Crash, co-written with Stephen Hyde. Yeah. Um, premiered at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival in 2017. How do you find time to do everything? Uh, it all sounds really impressive when you say it like <laughs> yeah. that. Like, oh yeah, that was all within a year. Yeah. Um, I think the, the way it's sort of worked is that things sort of happen staggered mm-hmm. in terms of the writing process and then yeah. it all sort of comes to a head at yeah. once. So, yeah. I mean, the pamphlet I started writing, really, I mean, th- I think the first poem in there I wrote when I was about 19 so that's been a sort of eight-year process whereas the musical we were sort of working on in the 18 months leading up to Mm -hmm. the the fringe Mm -hmm. and then the novel is something that I've really been working on in the past year I was actually looking at my first draft the other day and the date on that that I finished that first draft was the end of May last year oh wow so they really have been different yep, yep. at different times. It just <coughs> sounds like they've kind of all coalesced together. at the same yeah. time. And, and speaking of the novel, I was wondering if you could tell me a bit about the Right Now mentoring scheme and how the effect that it's had on your writing, if it's kind of had changed the way you write or sort of given you a sense of community or, or, or the effect it's had on your writing. Uh, all of the above. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's, yeah. It's a really fantastic scheme that aims to diversify publishing and the voices that are heard through mm-hmm. publishing mm-hmm. Um, so it specifically targets LGBTQ and BAME writers um, also working class writers yeah. anybody who is not traditionally represented in the publishing world there wasn't actually a category for poetry which is really the only reason that I applied <laughs> with a novel um, because I thought it was such a great scheme and I could not apply but yeah. I'd never written a novel yeah. I had this idea that had been in the back of my head growing for a couple of years but I'd never put a single word on the page so I wrote about a thousand words sent it off with a kind of personal statement thinking oh well yeah at least I've a written shot. a thousand words yeah. who knows what will happen 
and they liked it and took me wow. on, which was incredible. And so the the effect that's had is it's made me think, okay, actually I can do this. Yeah. I can write fiction. Mm. And it's made me think a lot more about, I suppose, what I can do and the possibilities of writing and how actually forms all kind of feed into mm. one another. Mm. Mm. And at the same time, I suppose the opposite as well, it's made me think more about the distinctions between poetry and prose. Now that I'm writing both, I actually have to think much more actively about, okay, why is this a novel? Or why mm. is this a story? Why isn't it a poem? Why, what makes this a poem? Yep. So it's made me think a lot more about form and about genre in that respect. It's also given me so much confidence. I mean, I think there were, I've lost count of how many applicants there were, but it was in the thousands. And then there are 12 of us on this programme, which is just the most incredible staggering number I mean there are still times that I sit at home and go was there a filing problem you know was there this an admin error that led me to getting this place but um so yeah there's a huge confidence building and also the community is amazing the other 11 writers are all wonderful writers obviously Mm. but also really wonderful people and supportive people and everyone is kind of going through this for the first time there are a couple of people who have previous experience with publishing but no one who has published with such a big yeah uh, big company and who's published the specific sort of work they're working on yep. so yep. it really yeah it really is a, a kind of communal yeah experience yeah that's really exciting um and in terms of your novel itself can I ask what it's about or is that is yeah that no, you can. Under wraps? no you absolutely can um I've just finished draft seven a couple of days ago so it's well and truly I well and truly know what it's about now yeah um so it's about a woman who believes herself to be the last person left alive on earth mm-hmm. it sort of takes books like Robinson Crusoe and Frankenstein yeah. as its I won't say models but certainly as its inspirations mm-hmm. um and uses that sort of power play and that focus on on language as as, as kind of way of taking control of a person and as a, a way of maintaining power over a person. And I suppose it tries to kind of question that. I su- yeah, that's what it's like in terms of the big themes. The yeah, actual yeah. story is it's about this woman um, and her sort of drive to survive yeah. as, you know, she sees herself as the last survivor of the human race. Yeah, yeah. That's really interesting. Um, and I'm thinking again about sort of what you were saying about this distinction between poetry and prose and story writing and poetry. Um, What would you be most drawn to reading in your spare time? Would you kind of, I mean, I imagine you read a mix of of everything, but in terms of if you were purely looking to relax, would you pick up a novel? Would you pick up a poetry collection? Oh, that's a really difficult one. I sort of go through phases, I think. I go through phases of reading mostly fiction and then phases of reading mostly poetry. And I'm trying at the moment to vary that up a bit and yep. sort of for every poetry book, I have to read a novel. For every novel, mm-hmm. I have to read a book of poetry. Mm-hmm. Um, as for what I'd read to relax, I really love young adult fiction. Mm-hmm. I think it, partly because it's fun. It's, yep. There's so much... Um, I won't say lightness, because a, a lot of young adult fiction is quite dark. I mean, I love things like The Hunger Games. But there's something about young adult fiction that, because it's aimed at younger audiences, it can do very clever things, but it has to do them in quite a straightforward way. And mm. I think it can be really relaxing to read, in that it's not... 
challenging your brain in the yeah. same way as yeah. maybe a collection of poetry or you know a epistolary literary novel yeah. from you know the 1920s or something yeah, yeah. but it's it does challenge your brain and I think actually what's really useful for me reading ad- young adult fiction is that it's really good for learning craft as well mm-hmm. um, and things that you so you can read it to relax but at the same time there's all this kind of information going in about okay this is what this writer is doing this is how they're doing it and because plot is quite important in young, young adult fiction as well that comes across yeah that kind of craft really comes across in your poems as well some of them they have a sense of I think and this is something that I'm drawn to writing about as well sometimes is this kind of fairy tale quality and the idea that there is a story behind it and I can kind of see how young adult fiction could feed into that as well like thinking about your poem with the wolf for example or the the poems that kind of take these animal characters almost and kind of write about them um yeah I, well I think fairy tales are something that I've always been really interested in yeah. um partly because they're the stories that we all sort of know mm-hmm. they're they're kind of a common currency between yeah. us so you can reference a fairy tale and everyone kind of knows what you mean but everyone will also have their own individual version of it mm-hmm. whether they know it from the Disney version or they you know read Hans Christian Andersen or maybe their parents told it to them when they were they young that when they were younger and there's there are so many different versions of them. And I think also they link back to me um, to this idea of transformation a lot of the time, mm. which for me, <laughs> my so my bedtime stories, I didn't get things like Cinderella. Um, my mum loved classics, so I got Greek myths as bedtime <laughs> stories, That's brilliant. Which, which is brilliant. Um, Oedipus Rex might have been a mistake. I don't oh, know what wow. that did to my, you know, half-asleep <laughs> child mind. But, um, yeah, I, I got these incredible, rich stories that had all this kind of transformation and people weren't kind mm. but there's a sort of fascination in that and mm. actually fairy stories have the same thing if you look back at the originals you know the world isn't kind yeah and yet there are these incredible jewel-like stories that we can find within them and I think that's what comes across in the poetry as well that kind of mm. transformation mm. um and in sort of thinking about the word jewel actually that you just used um so the BBC commissioned poets um I think this was last year yeah. To, to write about local words and as a Cumbrian born poet you wrote a poem based on the word twine which means to complain yeah I it's one of those words I didn't actually realize it was the dialect word until I went to uni and okay. I was using it and nobody understood what I meant <laughs> um, I, I wanted to ask what what firstly sort of what the experience was like in terms of responding to a commission as opposed to sort of just writing something of your own volition and if there are any other local words that you've sort of thought about or, or written about or would like to write about again? So the, I guess the first thing about writing to a commission was that it was a really free commission. It was really, it gave me so much scope to, to choose the words. So the words, there was a group of words were selected by listeners, Radio Cumbria listeners. Um, and these words were then presented to me and I was allowed to choose any of them that I wanted to write about. What was really interesting actually was that because Cumbria is such a big county and it's got the Lake District, this kind of big mountainous sort of area in the middle of it that sort of separates the east from the west, there were words on that list that I'd never heard anybody use and I've lived in Cumbria most of my life. Um, So obviously I didn't pick those because I I felt like they (laughs) weren't my words to write about. Um, So there were really only a few that I could have chosen 
And twining, for me, it's one of those words that people always joke that it sums up Cumbria because there's this joke that Cumbrian people always twine, they're always <laughs> moaning about things. And I think that is actually partly <laughs> true. Um, but I think it's also something that knits us together in a way. It's it's a kind of, again, it's back to this kind of communal thing that we have between yeah, us that we yeah. can we can moan about the weather. Yeah. We can moan about, yeah. you know, the roadworks or yeah. whatever it is. So for me, it was quite clear that that was the word I wanted to write about. And so responding to it and writing the commission in that way was actually quite straightforward because I really felt a connection mm. with the word. Um, the other word on the list that I actually considered writing about for a while was um, the word slape, which means slippy. Okay. Um, and I, I like the way that it's sort of like slippy and slope at the same time. And I, I quite like that um, duality between it. But another great word we have in Cumbria, which is a word I've written about before, um, is the word offcomer. Mm-hmm. which is kind of like incomer, mm-hmm. so it's a person from somewhere else, mm-hmm. but m- more sort of negative, I think. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a person from off over there, yeah, and it's yeah. almost like a, like off stage, yeah. and, and there's a sense that this land doesn't belong to you because you're, mm-hmm. you're an off-comer. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, even, like, I'm an off-comer, even though I was born there, because my parents weren't born there. Mm-hmm. That's still, see, ma- by association, I'm yeah. an off- off-comer. So there's a really interesting relationship in Cumbria between people and land because it's a farming county um, and that translates into the language which mm. I find really interesting as well yeah um could you read the poem for us I can twining's yeah. poem. <coughs> um yeah so I suppose the other thing just to mention is that it was inspired by uh, the floods that followed Storm Desmond um and not just by the floods themselves but I suppose the way that people responded to those floods and the way that I sp- back to this kind of communal mm. thing of, mm-hmm. of moaning and twining kind of knitting us all together so that that was sort of what was going through my mind when I, I was writing yeah. the poem Ode to Twining The weak summer slammed the door so hard the valley rumbled from its leaving you couldn't move for moaning Not fat complaints dropping powerless from lips or torrents gossiping and coarse. Up here, our words are leaner, tighter. Here, we twine, unwinding our moans like wool festooned between us. When the weather rocked the windows and swept away the bins, we twined till twining became entwining till we had twilled ourselves in the warp and weft of our words the way we were that other winter when water rose through the town and the roads were a maze when the rain was a blank wall wetting our backs and the wind was a wild thing when our words unravelled and all we could do was follow them like string till together our twinings wound thicker were rope and we bound ourselves together like love as the floodwater billowed and swept and we stood fast in our twining and we waited and we won thank you <laughs> um, i just wondered actually if we might, if we might finish with um two more of your poems yeah absolutely um there there are two i picked out as ones that i particularly like from your pamphlet if you could start with the raven speaks 
my favourite line in this is uh, when you mentioned the lift and slump of Horizon. I really like. I really like that. Oh, thank you. So talking about stories earlier and the stories that kind of knit communities and people together, this comes from the Bible story of Noah and the flood. And the part that every Sunday school child knows is the dove who was sent off and brings back the olive branch that shows that the water is receding and there's land and sort of hope for the future. Um, the bit that often gets left out is that before Noah sent the dove, Noah sent a raven. And the raven flew off and didn't come back. Uh, and it's sort of seen as, this is quite a negative thing, mm. um, and kind of cast as a, 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 I suppose, a, like a darker character. Um, I wanted to write from the raven's point of view. The raven speaks. For a month or more, he kept us in the dark, locked in his mad tessellation of wood. Through a slip of it, we could see the lift and slump of horizon, and on rougher days, shards of air forced themselves through the gap. When he took me from the hull, led me up and out towards the day, to feel the chorus of sunlight on my feathers, the freshness of salt scouring from me the greyness of captivity, when they unhooked my claw from the metal ring and made me sore. Is it any wonder I didn't come back? I found land, a rocky dump of mud and drowned fish, the single resilient olive branch. It stank fierce as the ship I'd left behind. I saw her coming, that lily-winged dove. Hid. Watched her pinch that little spurt of green in her petite, pampered beak. And promptly nip it dead. Great, thank you. And, and the last poem I was hoping you might read is... Um slightly longer poem and it's called you're in my blood like holy wine yes and i'd love to have come up with that title by myself but i have to credit <laughs> Joni mitchell <laughs> you're in my blood like holy wine the nights we came home drunk and every night we sat side by side toes curled over the cliff of the bed in your oxford bedsit and talked about nothing i know this because it struck me how precisely we controlled our breath, how intricate each flex and shiver of skin for words that no one cared about. We talked about next door, the radio constant through the brickwork, clutching at stations before moving on. Sometimes our arms brushed, and for a second I spiralled like smoke, there were always cigarettes and the faint smell of apples, your burgundy sweater and the bristled curve of your throat. There were dark thumbprints in the bowls of old wine glasses, stacks of plates like unopened letters, crumbs sharp as insects littering the rug, and all the words I didn't know how to say were crows, flapping their frantic wings against the inside of my mouth. I swallowed and they clawed my stomach raw and sick. I've tried to drown them in spirits, thick and toxic as the dark, 
drowned them till they tasted of nothing but iron and burnt toast, and my body was a smudge of wings on a pebble beach. I've tried to speak. Once I twisted my fingers in the duvet, as if there would be ripples that could reach you, your solid, immovable legs. You shut the blinds, switched on the desk lamp and Joni Mitchell, how I could drink a case of you and I would still be on my feet. But before the end, you cut the track to watch the trailer for the new James Bond. You said, I know how you feel about me, and I believed you. Remember the Church of the Assumption of Our Lady in Moster, where the bomb that plummeted through the roof in 1942 into the middle of a morning mass without exploding was still on display, and the little card proclaimed this a miracle in several languages. Remember how we watched it for almost twenty minutes, how its silence filled the room till we imagined we could hear it ticking, a gunmetal heart, the weight of a hammer raised above a head or bell about to be struck, the stretched skin of a drum anticipating thunder. Or maybe it was just our own blood beating against our ears like fists against a door. Remember how I said, I wish it would do something drastic. I wish it would explode. Great. Thank you very much. And um, thank you for meeting with me. And I hope you enjoy the rest of the stanza. Thank you. You too. Thank you for listening to the London Magazine podcast. Don't forget to subscribe. Send us any comments, feedback. Um, we always love to hear from you. You can also pre-order the August-September 2018 issue, which comes out on the 1st of August. Just go to thelondonmagazine.org and you'll find all of our subscription offers.